0: go ahead and, and grab a seat. <laughs> Good morning and, and welcome to Christ Community. My name is, is Tim. We're so glad to have you with us this morning and we're continuing in the, the gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can flip to Matthew 6. We're not going to read it yet, but you can go ahead and, and put your finger there. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table, but kind of by the offering uh, box. Feel free to grab one. And if you don't have one at all at home, uh, take it home with you. It's our, it's our gift um, to you but we're glad you're here with us, and as we start uh, this morning, why don't I want to pray for us and ask for, for God's help? God, would you in this moment just remind us that you are a good, good father who has spoken to us by your word? But God, what, what Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago is not, it's not just a religious teacher, it's, it's not just a prophet or someone with good life advice, it's, it's you, our Father, who sent his Son to show us how to live. So, God, would you open our eyes. To see you give us ears to hear, this morning we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I can't really tell you why, but I love end of the world dystopian stories—not the wor- end of the world utopian stories where everything's good and perfect and awesome—but dystopian stories where the world is falling apart and everything's terrible. Right, so think Independence Day when aliens are invading the universe, or think Mad Max where strange warlords are duking it out in the deserts, uh, or think The Walking Dead when zombies are roaming the earth. I love those stories. If the world is imploding on itself and everything's falling apart, I'm in. I want to I watch. I, I want to see. And I, I don't know why exactly. It, it's definitely not because all of those stories are unique. They're not. It's all the same premise, Right, something that you should be afraid of finally comes to pass and you have to run for your life, right? What you fear is finally going to rule you. All dystopian futuristic stories have that narrative, except for at least one. I mean, I'm sure there's others that don't, but there's one that's very different. It's Aldous Huxley's A Brave New World. In that story, it's not what you fear will, that will destroy you. There are no zombies. In A Brave New World, it's actually what you love, that might destroy you. Not what, what will hurt us, but actually what gives us pleasure. We're human. That what Huxley feared was that, that we would live in a culture that would be drowned out by triviality. Or we would live in a culture where there would be so many pleasurable experiences at our fingertips that we'd be, as human beings, reduced to passive creatures. That in a brave new world, people are not ruled by what they're afraid of or, or what they fear, but by what they love, what they want. That think the walking dead, but not with zombies chasing you to eat you, but with zombies chasing you to give you bags of money. That's what he was afraid of. And it makes me wonder, what, what if Huxley is right? That what you and I should fear most, should be most afraid of, is not, it's not zombies, not things that could rule over us in fear, but actually what we should be most afraid of is, is what we love. What gives us pleasure. The Huxley wasn't the first one to raise... These questions, Jesus beat him to it 2,000 years ago. It's at the center of what our text is for this morning, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And his basic point is that what you love actually rules over you. So here are Jesus' words, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, The other, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus says what you love rules over you, which is a problem because we were created to love. We were created to treasure things, to desire. We're hardwired for this. But when you love something, it it can have a ruling force over your life. On Valentine's Day, I think back to the first crush I had on a girl and the strange amount of power that held over my life. Or today as an adult, the many things I want to purchase or buy or have and how those can direct my daydreams, my thoughts, what makes me lay awake at night. Jesus says what you love can rule over you. So let's let's listen to Jesus as he impacts, one, what, what it is that we love, Two, why it rules over us. And three, the better love that he offers us. So what we love, why it rules over us, and a better love. And and Jesus starts by saying, listen, you and I, every human being, loves money too much. He's not questioning this. He's not asking you, hey, do you you think you might love money? No, he's saying you love money too much. That the command in verse 19, which is do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, is fundamentally different than the other commands Jesus has given in the Sermon on the Mount up until this point. The most commands are preventative, don't stop or, or stop doing something or don't, don't do something, don't lust, don't lie. But Jesus uses a, a different verb tense here, which the English translation doesn't exactly get. That literally what Jesus says in verse 19 is not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. You're doing it and stop. Now, Jesus is saying we have a precondition when it comes To money, that no matter who you are, what, where you come from, you love money too much. You love what money gets you too much. And in case you doubt Jesus, you think he's wrong here. Let's just let's just take a a tour of our culture really quick. The first thing: think of our two-year phone contracts. Right? The contract comes up, and it, you're counting down the months, right? The phone you have, it's dirty, it's nasty, it's, it's a piece of trash, right? You, you can't wait to get rid of the, the thing, and you get to the, the, the phone company, you get to, the, to the, the, the desk, and they hand you the new phone, and it's clean, right? it's bright. It can do all sorts of new things that your, your old phone could never do, if, even if it tried. Right? Finally, you're freed from the shackle of this old piece of trash, and you have a new phone. And for about three months, it's great, or maybe two months, it's great, and then you start counting on the months to the end of your next two-year month con- or 2 contract because you see new phones coming out that are better than that piece of trash you have in your hand now. Or think, uh, kids, of, of being at school and seeing your friends have a new pair of shoes, new set of clothes, a new video game, or a new tablet, electronic, and how much you want those things. And how as we grow as adults, it only gets worse. We're worse at this than our kids are, right? But now we just have more things to want right our Amazon wish list keeps growing we pin more things on Pinterest right our hearts are always looking after the next purchase or maybe it's you're not a purchaser you're not a buyer and you're not obsessing over what the next thing to buy is but you're obsessing over how much you have saved right your savings your emergency fund it's not just good stewardship it's an idol it's your protection it's your refuge so you are always checking your investments. If a big expense comes along your way and you have to you know, get rid or, or spend out of your expense account, which was there for that purchase, you start freaking out until you get back to that number you want to be at again. Or if, if the, set, the stock market drops, you begin to, to worry what's your, what's your retirement going to be. There's anxiety. There's worry because your love for money doesn't lead you to buy. It leads you to, to not buy, to save. Or more seriously, think about how much debt we have as a culture. Not just as a nation, but for us individually. I was recently talking to a friend who who started a financial class with uh, about 30, 40 other people. And at the beginning of the class, they asked everyone in the class to add up all of their non-mortgage debt. So it's car loans, it's student student debts, credit cards, it's second mortgages. All of those 30 to 40 people, the total debt in that room was $1.2 million. What you love is what rules you. And Jesus is saying, we love money way too much. I mean, maybe, you, maybe you still disagree. I'll push in one more time in case you're still on the edge. And one of the weirdest things to me is that we do not talk about money out loud. We, we don't share our income. It's, it's this weird thing. It's the only thing as a pastor I've actually had tell, people tell to me, you will not talk to me about this so the question for me is why? why? Why are we so weird about that? When especially we tend to use our income to make us look like we're more wealthy than we actually are, right? We, we want a certain car. We want certain clothes. We want to appear to have more money than, than we actually do. We, we want to trick people into thinking we have more money than we actually do. We may be silent about how much money we actually make, but our purchases are loud and clear about what we want to communicate. We want to look a certain way, appear a certain way. Remember last, last, last week, don't live your life for the applause, for the, the appearance of others. We do this. The money is not just something we love; we love it too much. And Jesus is saying it is our master. Stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. So money, it's what we love. But the question is, why? Why does it rule us like this? And I think what Jesus says in verses twenty-two and twenty-three help to begin to unpack why money's different compared to everything else. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eyes is healthy, healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, Jesus' basic point there is that when you look at money, your eyes go dark. You don't see. You're trying to, to walk around in a room with no lights on. It doesn't work. For example, when Jesus says, right, right, don't buy don't store up treasures on earth, right? Moths destroy them and thieves break in and get them. We all say yes. We chuckle. We're like, you're right. We shouldn't invest in things that aren't going to last. And then we go live in anxiety and fear about getting things that will not last. Right? We know Jesus is right here, and yet we can't stop. In Jesus' day, wealth was entirely possessions, right? They didn't have savings accounts to the extent that we do. And so your entire wealth was built up in your possessions. Your clothes were often passed down from, um, from generation to generation. If you had any land, all of your, your property was possessions, which meant your wealth was incredibly vulnerable, right? A thief could come and literally wipe out all of your, all of your possessions, all of your ownings, right? Moths, eventually, right? The, the destruction of just stuff, how it wears down. It means your wealth was always, always vulnerable. And we know that, Right? We know our, our stuff, our lives, our wealth is vulnerable to moths. But it doesn't matter. We still love money too much. And I would say this has two devastating effects on us as people. The one, it means we live in a state of perpetual dissatisfaction. The American Psychological Association put out a study in 2004 that reached this conclusion, which speaks to people my age. Compared with their grandparents, today's young adults have grown up with much more affluence, slightly less happiness, and much greater risk of depression and assorted social pathology. Our becoming much better off the last four decades has not been accompanied by one iota of increased subjective well-being. This isn't a Christian saying this. Right? We have more treasures on earth now than we have ever had before, and yet studies show we're more anxious, we're less happy, we're more depressed than our grandparents who had far less treasure than we have. And that makes all the sense if you understood uh, how Don Draper in Mad Men viewed advertising, what advertising was. Here's what he said advertising is and was. Advertising is based on one thing, happiness. And do you know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams with assurance that whatever you're doing is okay. You are okay. That underneath all our buying, our love for money, is this desire to be okay, to be reassured, to actually be happy, to have freedom from fear. That's why your heart is perpetually dissatisfied, because the things you're trying to find okay in, or the things you're trying to find satisfaction is, that it's not there. It's not there. So we don't see money clearly. One, it means we we live in perpetual dissatisfaction. But two, it means generosity for us is now a struggle. Christian Smith and Michael Emerson, in their book, Passing the Plate, put it like this. We have every reason to believe that most American Christians objectively do have enough income to give generously to others and still have enough left over to lead perfectly healthy, happy lives. But consumerism focuses attention not on the blessing and abundance in their lives, but on all that they do not possess, on the myriad of products and experiences that are just out of reach. See the choice between a life of generosity and a life of happiness, it's an easy one. And yet we keep choosing the wrong one, right? Because a generous life is actually within our grasp. That's actually possible. But the truly happy life by chasing things, possessions, trying to buy your way into that life is not possible. That is a fleeting life. And yet we keep chasing it. More than that, we assume it means we were designed to be generous creatures. We're designed to, to give ourselves away to other people. And yet we keep giving ourselves away to money and to its never-ending promises. The money rules us. We love it. It's not just a, a, a it doesn't just have a place in our life. It makes us, it makes us more anxious than other things. It makes us do crazier things. This is a problem. So the question is, okay, well, how how do we get out? And and looking at Jesus' Jesus' words here, there's three pieces of of practical next steps I think all of us should be engaged in as as people want, if, whether you're a Christian or not, to, to, to engage money well. But especially if you're a Christian, you should be doing these three things. The first, you need to look at your use of money through different eyes. Right, remember Jesus' whole point is, is when you look at money, your eyes go dark. You don't see. Your, your whole life is full of darkness when it comes to money. The, the, for example, no one in here probably, or maybe a few of you, but, but most of us in here would say, I'm not rich. Right? Because whenever we think of the rich, it's always someone with a slightly nicer car, or a slightly nicer house, or slightly more stuff than us. Right? It's always someone with more than, than whatever it is that I have. And yet, if you live in Lenexa or Shawnee and you make the, the average income of, of this area, so about seventy three grand, everything, but salary benefits everything. If that's what you make, you are in the wealthiest 0.11% of the entire world. The wealthiest tenth of a percent of the entire world is sitting in this room right now. Did you know, did, did you, do you think of that or do you know that? Or are you more like me where you're, you're focused more on what, what you don't have, on what others have. And the, the truly rich are those with, with that and, and I only have this. That we don't see clearly when it comes to money. We don't see our status. We don't see our place. And that's why I think a next step for all of us is we need, to, we need to have an accountability partner when it comes to our finances. And whether that's a Christian financial advisor or whether that's a really close personal Christian friend, right? they have to be trusted. They have to be worthy of your trust. But you need someone else to look at your money. We need accountability because when our eyes look at our own money, we don't see clearly. We don't see it right. Don't ignore what Jesus is saying here, that when you deal with your own money and your own heart, you're like a blind person walking around a dark room. You, you won't get out. You need help. Invite someone else into your life. That's one. Second, I would say move your treasure. That, that one of the interesting things to me about the sin of greed is that it's the hardest sin to diagnose, but it's the easiest sin to treat. It's hard to diagnose because, listen, if, if you commit adultery, you know it. right? There, there's not a doubt. Like you... You don't just wake up next to someone of the opposite sex and say, well, oh, I committed adultery, what happened? Like, it, it doesn't happen, but no one wakes up and says, I'm greedy. Right? My guess is none of you walked in to, to this morning, maybe, maybe a few, but most of us probably did not walk in this morning thinking, I have a real problem with money, with greed. Like to the point that, that Jesus is actually warning us here that you, you'd better stop, and we'll get to the warning in a second. It is a strong warning to us. The most of us don't, don't see that in our, our own hearts. And yet, I think it's the easiest sin to treat. That, that the, the way to treat greed is it's simple. It's create a spending plan or a budget. If you don't like the B word, you can call it a spending plan. Right? Decide to, ahead of time where you're going to go and spend your money. Because if you don't decide how to spend your money before you spend it, Your treasure is just going to go to to material possessions and to happiness through the things of this world. And by creating a spending plan, you're telling yourself, your heart, they're objectively looking at how much you make and how much you're going to spend. This is how much you have to spend. You cannot spend more. You have to do this. You're telling your greed where to go. You're telling your money where to go. Now, this doesn't mean that that if you create a spending plan or a budget the life gets easier. Actually, doing that will reveal to you just how much money rules over your life because you're going to not have any money left to spend and you're going to think, oh, I can make this work somehow. We'll just spend it and we'll see what happens. right? I mean, it, it is, trust me, as someone who, when I started doing a budgeting spending plan, it was it revealed to me the idolatry in my own heart, of my own approach to money. But that's the only way you can move your treasure. From earth to things of, of heaven is to say, this is my money and this is where it's going. I'm deciding ahead of time. So when you need someone else to look at your finances, you need to see your money through different eyes. Two, you need to move your treasure. And third, invest in generosity. That if you want to kill the inordinate love of money you have in your life, you need the discipline of generosity. At the last week I pointed out, if you're driven by the opinions of other people, then you need to have a portion of your life where you're, you're it's just you and God, right? Where you're doing good works, you're, you're being generous, you're giving, you're praying, you're fasting, when no one else can see. It's just you and God, so that you can slowly begin to, to break free of the opinions of others over you. And if you want to stop loving money, you need the practice of generosity, of consciously saying, I live on this, and this much goes to the poor, to the church, to good causes. The only way you can make money your servant and not your master is to practice generosity. So as you create a spending plan, create significant margin to give away to the church, to the poor, to good causes. I would start at 10%. If that seems crazy, start at two, three, four. Just start somewhere and stick with it because listen, that's the only way you're gonna stop loving money is by entering into to why God has poured wealth out into us, into our lives, into this country. is for us to give it ourselves away, for us to be generous with what we have. It's been true of, of, in my own life. The only way then my heart has been, it's, its greed has been killed. It's through generosity. And it's got a long way to go, and generosity has been the biggest way to help free me of my own greed. And so, these, listen, these are three really nice, important steps, right? But we're probably all just feeling really guilty, terrib- terrible about ourselves. You're probably thinking, you know, I'm just going to leave church. I'm going to go buy something and feel better about myself after this sermon. This is terrible, you know? That, that's maybe where you're at. And let's be honest, those three application points, you cannot, they're, they're not going to ultimately... Solve your problem of loving money too much. Our, our, Jesus is clear here. Our problem goes way deeper than that. There's not just three next steps that you can do, and, and, and it's all going to be good from this point forward. We, we need more. Listen, it's why the thought of giving 10% of your income away is, is ridiculous to some of you in this room. Or even creating the, a spending plan, a budget, it just seems completely unattainable. That even though we're in the wealthiest 0.11% of the entire world, we, we don't have enough. Not enough to be generous. Not enough to name our spending and tell where to go. That we love money too much, and it's ruling over us. That we're like Edmund in the, the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Edmund meets this this woman dressed all in white, who claims to be a queen. She offers him rides on her sleigh. She offers him Turkish delights, which is was the, the, the sweetest thing he had ever tasted in his life. She promises to make him a prince. And he believes her. He trusts her. But this woman is a witch. And the Turkish delights over time become stale bread. And the sleigh becomes chains that he lives in in her castle. Everything good about her becomes enslaving to him. And we know, right, money, wealth, possessions are fleeting. We know the Turkish delight will become stale bread. We know our treasure will be eaten by moths. And yet we still can't stop. And so the question is, what, what enables us to be free of money? What enables us to, to be free of what Jesus is speaking of here? And that's where we want to end, is, is Jesus begins to talk about a better love. We love money too much, and the answer is to love something else more. And the reality is, I think most of us are probably on board with what Jesus says here, right? Loving money, too much is bad. You should invest in things that truly matter, truly last. We all agree with Jesus here until we get to the last verse. And the last verse is where Jesus crosses the line. Did you hear what he, he said? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What Jesus says here is if you love money too much, and you do, right? Stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. If you love money too much, you can't love God. And according to Jesus, if you love money more than you love God, you are despising God in your heart. Why does he say that? It seems over the top, right? I mean, I, I can remember being a kid reading this and thinking like, Jesus, I don't think you need to draw such harsh lines here. Like, yeah, you can love money a little too much, we've got to work on it. And Jesus doesn't do that. He draws a hard line here. He says, listen, if you love money more than you love God, you are despising God in your heart. You're hating God. How can he say that? How can that be true? How's that not over the top? Well, Remember where Jesus started with this line, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That in the Bible, the heart is the center of everything about us. It's our loves, it's our desires, it's our will, it's our emotions. And Jesus is saying that if, if money, money has so captured our hearts, our dreams, our desires, our wants, our emotions, our loves, that now what we do is we daydream about what money can give to us and get from us rather than daydream about what God has offered us. We are far more anxious about the riches of this world than settled in the riches of what God has offered to us through his son Jesus. That our hearts sing more when we make a new purchase than when we hear God's words spoken over our lives. That do you see the seriousness of our problem here? It's not just that our, our love of money is absurd, which it is, right? Because we know we're not taking anything into the grave with us, right? We know the moths are going to get everything we own in the end anyway, it's that we've traded all of or we've traded the insurpassable riches of Christ for a treasure that gets eaten by moths. It's why Jesus says, listen, this isn't, this isn't just something you need to work on. If you love money more than God, you are despising God in your heart. Is that really a stretch when you think about what we've done in trading the life of God for the life of the wealth of this world, which we know we're gonna lose anyway? So the answer that Jesus gives is not like what every other religion gives, which is stop loving things, right? Don't love anything on the earth. You need to just be detached and be disemotional, Like, just don't don't have any desires. It's not what Jesus says. He says you need to treasure the right thing, right? He doesn't say stop treasuring. He says you need to put your treasure in the right place in heaven and not on earth. That that's the way out for us. That we treasure Jesus above everything else. We put him above everything else. That we give him the center of our lives. That our hearts have these longings for a reason. There's a reason we think money will meet our heart's desires in some way. That God has put those desires in our hearts. And if God is first, then all of those desires can fall in rightly. The most interesting about about Jesus is, is his promises to us, they don't get worse with time. They get better With time, because he wants to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Right? That if you treasure Christ above all else, it's not just that your treasure will never go away, it gets better over time. It will not it will not just disappear, it will actually, it will be richer and far more meaningful. That that is inescapable or that escapable happiness we keep trying to buy, it will finally be ours because the treasure of Christ, it's not vulnerable to moths and it's not even vulnerable to death itself. And so what do you treasure? What do you love most? What rules your heart? How could it not be Christ? The one who will not make you a hopeless slave to him. No, he became like a slave, like a servant to free you. Right? He's not duping you with Turkish delight to give you stale bread. His promises get better. And look what he did for us, right? Even though we did love money, possessions, stuff more than him, even though we traded him in for the wealth of this world, even though we traded him in for the love of money, he gave up the riches of his Father to come and be near to us. He traded the glory of heaven for a cross. That he took our treasure, right? Dying, eaten by moths, worthless. He took our treasure so that we could have his. The love money. Love life, this life most, and all your treasure, everything you value in life, it will go away. The moths will get it in the end. But follow Christ and all your deepest joys will be met. It's a treasure not vulnerable to moths. It's a treasure that does not wear away. It only gets better. It's a treasure that's not vulnerable to death itself. That's why Jesus is asking us the question this morning. Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Because where your heart is, they're your treasure. Will be also. Let's pray. God, I know I need this sermon more than anyone in this room. And that my heart, when it comes to money, God is just as deceived as anyone else's. And God, so we want to be we want to be freed by that. And so we thank you in this moment for Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank you for Christ who did not give up on us even though he traded, even though we traded in the treasures of you for a wealth that was a lie. And we thank you for the feast offered to us in Christ through his death and resurrection. Would you help us find our true treasure in Jesus, we pray. Amen.